I welcome everyone here this morning on a week when um, an election has captured our attention and both disappointed and relieved us. And following the memorial service for Cami, a beloved staff member deeply connected with many of you that we had yesterday here. And like every week, we come with a mixture of feelings and needs. One of the purposes of our religious community is to remind us to not be completely caught up in the day-to-day and instead to notice the long-term, the eternal, to live our values, whether they are supported in the world or opposed. And that can be tough especially when the votes don't go our way or when we have profound losses and we see and feel the pain that can result. I'm glad that all of you are here in person or online to renew your perspective and refresh your vision. I'm John Lou Johnstone, she, her, your interim co-lead minister for reflection and discovery. And I welcome those of you whose presence has persisted through good times and challenges and those who have never been with us before and those who are online. I offer a particular welcome to those of you who are guests. We are pleased that you found us and would love to know more about you. And in the tradition of seeing a a spark of the divine in every person, I invite you to greet the holy among us either in the comments online or simply by turning to those around you here in the sanctuary this morning. Good morning. Please say with me the words for lighting the chalice. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Our call to worship is by Katie Cardarian Morris. Here we have come into this sacred space, quieter now with our readiness, hushed voices, hoping, trusting for so many things, for connection, for communion, for inspiration, for information, for healing, for wholeness, for words, for music, for celebration and consolation. Here we have come into this space bringing all of who we are. Let us be willing, however we are changed. Mission inspires us to live our lives in accord with our values. The congregation wrote its mission together, then you put it on the wall of the sanctuary, and we say it together every Sunday so that we may more readily carry it with us in our hearts throughout the week. So let's do that now. Together we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. In this post-election moment, it seems a good time to remember why we as religious people and religious community care about elections. There are some easy answers that as Unitarian Universalists, we value democracy, that we want to make real our values in the world. But I also want to remind us why we don't care about elections. (laughs) 
In his blog this week, Reverend Chris told us something about the specific legal limits to what we can do in terms of political electioneering and such. And I want to remind us of the larger limits, the limits that divinity sets. We as a religious community are not concerned with power for the sake of power, for obtaining or maintaining our own privileges. It's easy to be tempted by power, to get drawn into winning and losing and strategic choices. As religious people, though, we are called to a higher standard, to examine carefully, to not deal so much in strategy or the personal bottom line as to deal in the moral bottom line. The Reverend Dr. William Barber of the Poor People's Campaign has written, a moral movement claims higher ground in partisan debate by returning public discourse to our deepest moral and constitutional values. We cannot allow so-called conservatives to hijack the powerful language of faith. Neither can we let so-called liberals pretend that moral convictions are not at play in public policy debates. Every budget, and I would add every ballot, is a moral document, or it's an immoral one. A political group focuses on what can be achieved, the art of the possible. As a religious people, we are focused on bigger issues of values and principles, the broader questions of how we ought to live in the world and what the world ought to be like. Part of our obligation as a religious community is to notice and name right and wrong. We're at a place in history when those qualities are shining in bolder relief. So the work is not ended because the election is over. And I understand there's still a runoff here, too. We are called to remind our elected leaders, whoever they are, of the moral imperatives that motivate us, whether we mostly agree with those leaders or mostly disagree with them. We speak with moral authority because the beloved community we build is not just this church, but our whole world. So unlike candidates and parties, we're not about political strategies and tactics. Now, I've been involved in politics, enough to know that the aligning and alliances of parties require. In politics, compromise is messy and morality often obscured. We can't be obsessed by strategy and tactics. We never want to become centered on having power alone, always on the moral ends, not on the political ends. So sometimes we may need to do things that are not strategic. We may meet with elected officials who we feel it's a waste of time because of our radical disagreement. We may speak either more strongly or more diplomatically than some of our allies. We may not value strategy as much as truth. And we never know what seeds may have been planted just because something needed to be said. May we always side with love for everyone. And in so doing, may we build beloved community now and always. Breathe in peace. Breathe out love. 
breathe in the mystery that this air around us connects us, connects you with your environment, sustaining your life and your spirit. Breathe out, finding your center, your connection with self. Breathe in what you find here in this space, the new life of a child, the comradeship of friends, the connection to the holy. Breathe out finding your feelings as clear or as muddled as they may be. Breathe in calm. Breathe out connection. Breathe in this present moment with all its lovely sounds of children. Breathe out the blessings you wish to pour onto others. Breathe in silence. Breathe out silence. If in this time of silence and centering you've found a concern or celebration, a joy or sorrow, anything weighing on your heart or lifting it up, then you're invited to light a candle along either of these walls.
1993, the prescient black sci-fi writer, Octavia Butler, published the first part of her Earth Seed series, Parable of the Sower. In it, she depicts a dystopian future fueled by climate change, hordes of refugees, and increased social inequality. Her protagonist, Lauren Alminia, develops a religion out of her observations. Among them are these. All struggles are essentially power struggles. Who will rule? Who will lead? Who will define, refine, confine, design? Who will dominate? All struggles are essentially power struggles, and most are no more intellectual than two rams knocking their heads together. When apparent stability disintegrates, as it must, people tend to give in to fear and depression, to need and greed. When no influence is strong enough to unify people, they divide, they struggle, one against one, group against group, for survival, position, power. They remember old hates and generate new ones. They create chaos and nurture it. They kill and kill and kill until they are exhausted and destroyed, until they are conquered by outside forces, or until one of them becomes the leader most will follow or a tyrant most fear. Any change may bear seeds of benefit. Seek them out. Any change may bear seeds of harm. Beware. God is infinitely malleable. God is change. As wind, as water, as fire, as life, God is both creative and destructive, demanding and yielding, sculptor and clay. God is infinite potential. God is change. Create no images of God except the images that God has provided. They are everywhere, in everything. God is change. Seed to tree, tree to forest, rain to river, river to sea, grubs to bees, bees to swarm, from one, many, from many, one. Forever uniting, growing, dissolving, forever changing. The universe is God's self-portrait. I take some comfort in reading dystopian novels. <laughs> novels like Octavia Butler's because at least our situation is not that bad <laughs> yet. The novels reassure me, too, that because, because they show people, characters, coping with those situations that are worse than our own. And that helps me believe that even if it does keep getting worse, we will go on living, struggling, coping, loving, and being. We will keep dedicating children and holding the hand of the dying. At one point in Parable of the Talents, the narrator expresses understanding for people who want a strong leader, who wants to make America great again. Those are the exact words. And remember, this was written back in the 1990s. They're afraid, she writes, and ashamed of their fear, ashamed of their powerlessness, and they're tired 
There are millions of people like them, people who are frightened and just plain tired of all the chaos. They want someone to do something, fix things, now. I am in awe of how Butler foresaw the politics that we struggle with today. The election this week did not go as badly as it could have in most of the country, but I didn't vote for anyone who got elected. (laughs) The nation is still deeply divided. The government is deeply divided. And yes, there is so much fear and shame and tiredness and chaos and impatience Desire for things to just get fixed or to go back to some mythic good old days. Of all the emotions that characterize our time, impatience may be the most dangerous. Yes, hate is horrible, chilling. Anger is scary in ourselves and others. Fear is difficult to endure and leaves us unable to think well. Shame freezes us. Tiredness wears us down. Impatience, though, has its own subtle danger. It keeps us from the excruciatingly slow and tedious untangling of complex social, economic, racial, and political issues and reduces us to bumper sticker slogans and easy solutions that aren't really solutions at all. It convinces us we are doing something because we're doing something even when what we are doing is counterproductive or, worse yet, counter to our values. So, we need religious community to remind us of those values, of what is of worth. So we act more and more according to our values rather than according to our instincts or fear or impatience. We will go on, somehow. A religious community is one of the places where we find both the means and the inspiration to go on. The lessons for a time of dystopia may lend themselves to our own time. So Octavia Butler's novels, Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents, tell about the people of Earthseed, a religion that is discovered by the central character who is a black teenaged woman. She and the people she leads find comfort and solace in the fact of change. Even saying God is change, despite the horrors and violence in which they live. If change really is the only lasting truth, what spiritual lessons can help us with change? After all, people have offered that idea of the eternity of change through the millennia. Around 500 years before the Common Era, Heraclitus of Ephesus is quoted as saying, everything changes and nothing remains still, and you cannot step in the same river twice. Buddhism is known for its teachings that all is impermanent, which is much the same as saying, that only change is unchanging. Whatever is happening now will not continue. So when it's pleasant, seize the moment, because it's not going to be there forever. 
And when it's unpleasant, know that it's impermanent, so you will not always be suffering. There are five Buddhist remembrances that are all related to the pervasiveness of change, and they come from the Upahajahana Sutta. Yeah, okay. Upahajahana Sutta. There it is. I am of the nature to grow old. There is no way to escape growing old. I am of the nature to have ill health. There is no way to escape having ill health. I am of the nature to die. There is no way to escape death. All that is dear to me and everyone I love are of the nature to change. There is no way to escape being separated from them. My actions are my only true belongings. I cannot escape the consequences of my actions. My actions are the ground upon which I stand. There are some commentators who have called these Buddhism at its very best. Quan Franz, a Soto Zen priest from Nova Scotia, sums them up this way. Everything is going to change. Nothing is ever going to be as I want it to be, as I need it to be, as I think it should be. I can't keep the perfect thing. I can't keep anything. Now, there's plenty to say about these precepts. I am of the nature to grow old is one I find more and more true every day. Much could be said about our culture's resistance to the truth of growing old, but that's for another day. I am of the nature to have ill health. We've become so much more aware of this during COVID times, when we can't count on so much because it's these periodic outbreaks still. And as winter approaches, flu and RSV and colds are increasing And our culture also seems to bring the expectation that we can cure or prevent anything. And it's not true. But that sermon, too, is for another day. (laughs) I am of the nature to die. The late Reverend Forrest Church, an esteemed and controversial figure, said that religion is the human response to being alive and having to die. Multiple sermons have been preached on that one, but not today. The fourth precept, all that is dear to me and everyone I love are of the nature to change. Ah, here's where we are today. All of us need a certain amount of predictability and stability, and we each have a different tolerance for change. Some people thrive most with a lot of stability, knowing from day to day what will happen and how, living in the same place for a long time, staying in the same job. And others of us have a little problem with boredom, wanting to change it up a bit more often. Now, my mother taught every grade from first through middle school during her career. And she, she was talking to me recently and said that some teachers like to have the same grade every year, but she thought that was boring. She liked to teach different grades, kept her on her toes. I have to remind myself that many people have less tolerance for change than I do. We all have to recognize, though, that if we do not make changes, 
It doesn't prevent them from coming. Change will come. It does that. Summer turns to fall to winter. Babies turn to toddlers to tweens to young adults. People grow ill and die. And we're living in a time of ever hastening change. Elections turn out some people uh, from office while others gain power. But technology seems to morph like every day. Climate change increases fires and droughts and floods and hurricanes, and all of those create these ripples of change across everything. Diseases appear and spread. New art and music and fashion emerge and gain popularity, only to quickly be replaced by the next trend. And with that accelerating rate of change, more people are thrown off, longing for something firm and steadfast, dependable, And sometimes because so much is changing around them so quickly, they can become fixated on holding on tightly to something that in the scheme of things may not seem all that important. And yet. Also, we might see change as good or bad, and those aren't inherent characteristics. Change isn't good or bad, it simply is. All that is dear to me and everyone I love are of the nature to change. And the single most important way to deal with that is to accept it. Not to cling to what has moved on. Sure, we mourn it, we have our feelings, knowing that those feelings too are impermanent. And then we let it go. Easier said than done, I know. So finally, the fifth remembrance. My actions are my only true belongings. I cannot escape the consequences of my actions. My actions are the ground upon which I stand. Things and even people will change and eventually disappear. Our actions cast a shadow a long shadow, a persistent shadow. What we do matters. And that's why it's so important that we make deliberate choices about how we will act in our everyday lives, in our connections with people we love, and with people we don't know, and in our activism. Zen priest Franz has something to say about this precept. And while you get to choose which actions you take, You don't get to choose what those consequences will be. It's like aiming a bow and arrow while you're running. You know what you want to hit. Maybe you'll get it. Maybe you won't. You just do your best and you have to accept the consequences for what happens because what other option is there? So remembrance number five is saying that what you do matters. So live like it does. That's the tough part, isn't it? We get to choose how we act, how we, but we don't get to choose what the result of those actions are. And that means we have to, oh, here it is again, let it go. Let go of the outcomes. We can vote. We can even work to turn out the vote. We cannot control who will win. We can voice our opinion. We cannot choose the results. 
Winning and losing are not spiritually grounded concepts. They are temporary and illusory. They are bound to ego. Now, that doesn't mean don't do anything. Remember, your actions matter. And it doesn't mean that your work was wasted even when you appear to have lost. Because we are imagining a better future as we work for it. And we cannot know what seeds we have scattered that may later bloom. We're called as religious people to weigh in on the side of the vulnerable and to name persecution of others as wrong. Whether transgender people whose lives are threatened or women whose control over their bodies is at risk or indigenous people losing their tribal protections or black people dying younger and owning less, or children under threat of gun violence and the mental health emergency. There is a right and wrong in these things. And we're talking wrong, not just inadvisable or unfair or even unconstitutional, just plain wrong, moral terms. I saw a cartoon on Facebook, maybe you saw it, an adult and a child. And the child asks, but what if they lose? And the the adult replies, then we keep fighting for the rights of all people. And if they win? Oh, dear girl, it's the same answer. It's the same answer. Win, lose, or draw. We embrace our values, living them out in our lives and in the larger world. Yes, change will come, and some days the winds will blow toward us and other days away. We feel the winds and still ground ourselves in our ideals, our vision, our mission. Our mission. If they lose, If they win, oh, dear girl, oh, dear friends, it's the same answer. We keep striving for the rights of all people. We can be the change we want to see in the world. Please say with me the words for extinguishing our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. I leave you with the words of Reverend Dr. Sophia Betancourt, professor at Star King School for the Ministry. The good news is that we are in control of what we do in our daily living. If we, each of us, represent a missing remnant in the fabric of our collective future, then together we can lean into a possibility that we have yet to fully experience in human history, a collective wholeness, an unassailable good. That is the kind of salvation I am here to fight for in the small moments of every single day. So may it be for us. May we achieve that collective wholeness, that unassailable good that beloved community. 
Amen.